Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the twice-weekly podcast that will open your eyes to the kinds of insights you can use to better run your business. Come have your morning Joe with hosts Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins, who have the right recipes and ingredients to easily help you cook up a storm for even your toughest competitor. No lectures, no wasting your time telling you how smart they are, and no bullshit. The Small Business Wake-Up Call is going to make you think, laugh, and help you recognize how much money you've been leaving on the table with advice that'll help you improve your quality of life. Lonnie and Stan are small business veterans who will share their individual war stories and experiences, not only from their own businesses, but also from guiding hundreds of other small business owners in over 100 industries. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan and save yourself some headaches. Grab that second cup of joe, or maybe something a bit stronger, and let's see what's on the menu for today. Welcome to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, and here are your hosts, with cups in hand, Lonnie Shambi and Stan Simpkins. I'm Lonnie Shambi, and welcome to today's edition of Small Business Wake-Up Call. We've talked a lot about the five M's, and covered the first four, manpower, management, marketing and sales, and money. Today, we'll cover the last of those, machines and systems, where small business capital often goes to die. And if anybody could talk about watching that happen over the years with both accounting clients and small businesses is my good friend and partner, Stan Simpkins. Well, good morning, Lonnie, and good morning to our listeners. Thank you. And I get the dubious honor of discussing machines and systems Oh, yes, we all know what those are. Those are the things your workforce uses directly and indirectly to produce and deliver your products and services. But it's more than land, buildings, equipment, tools, computers, vehicles, and other things accountants call fixed assets. Put that in your belly work there. It's also intangible things such as patents, copyrights, trade secrets, recipes, even licenses. It may even be a process or procedure that separates your product from the competition. Stan, my eyes are getting heavy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, unfortunately, we got to start somewhere. Common definition, if you will. In fact, you know, one of the places that you'll love this, Lonnie, that's very evident is in the food processing industry. One of my favorites are pickle manufacturers. There's a local grocery store. Pickles? Yeah, pickles. All right. It could be worse, Lonnie. Okay. I'll let your imagination go wild. All right. But. There's a major pickle manufacturer whose one jar of pickles is about $5. And right not far from that location is another manufacturer whose pickles are more than 30% higher, a little local producer. But you know something? I pay the extra because it's far more than 30% better tasting. It's fresher tasting. There's a reason. So people will pay more if they know what they're getting more. And it's more than just that. Systems and procedures, those include sequence, software, reporting, controls, part of your methods and systems that you're using. But the biggest impact is the last M of technology and change. Without technology, you could be stuck in the dark ages with your machines and systems, Lonnie. I know you know that. That was a big thing in your turnaround work. And without change, it's impossible to grow. Now, we know that this is not new news to you or our audience, but in keeping with our TOMA, top of mind awareness philosophy, you need to examine your business technology plan. Did you notice I said the word plan? So plan, ask yourself yes. if you have a plan. Okay. I know that some of you are saying, what the F? I got a pizza shop or some other low-tech operation. But even a pizza operator needs to stay on top of his technology 
even if it's ovens, because if you could knock off just five minutes from your pizza processing function, that's an 8.5% increase in throughput. And for all you know, might even make a better pizza because of the bells and whistles of this new technology. And see, this isn't about, though, the latest and greatest technology or some Six Sigma processes. It's about the practical application of machines and systems to your business. And it's not necessarily state-of-the-art technology or systems, but they're systems that work for you. That starts with operational flow. That's the steps you need to go through to get a product out the door. What are the machines and systems that you use to do that? Think about that. The most important of this is to find the bottlenecks. And that often starts at the owner's desk. And what's a bottleneck? A bottleneck Wait, is Lonnie, what he- Lonnie. Yes. Until you met me, a bottleneck was the top of a scotch bottle for you. You know that. Oh, stop it. <laughs> and it's interesting. When I say it starts right at the owner's desk, I've walked into client situations where if the process was working beautifully out on the shop floor, and then periodically the owner would step in the middle and say, oh, no, let's move this over here. Let's do this and slow everything down. It's funny. It doesn't take but one of those days to maybe take the whole process back 30 days. And suddenly you're starting to send out stuff late. And I've seen this time and again. In one particular instance, though, it was just perfect. He went out one day because I was there when he did it. And the entire process stopped because people said, well, is this the way we have to do it every day? So you have to stay tuned and you have to stay up to date on what your process is besides just the good stuff of cost and production efficiencies, the kind of stuff that now stands drooling over. Yeah. That exists. And new technology sometimes changes in months rather than years, especially if you're in a high-tech business. And most of the work I've done in my consulting career has been around high-tech companies. But it doesn't mean just because you have the newest technology that that's going to make things work better for you. If I might just step back, you mentioned the word bottleneck. We often in our podcast point out that one little symptom could be the function of one particular cause, but that that cause actually affects a lot of things. An example, cash flow complaints. Oh, our cash flow is terrible. And we take a look at their production operation and learn that they have this big asset called work in process. And if anyone has ever read the book, The Goal by Eliyahu Golrat, affectionately known by Lonnie as Eli, okay, (laughs) and is really, a matter of fact, phenomenal book. A long book, I might add. Phenomenal man. Even Watch this. I even have it on cassette tape. (laughs) So it's amazing. So when we look at operations and see some of the pain points that we'll actually be talking about in a minute, it's important to look at that. And so I think you had some examples from when you were doing some turnaround work on that. The thing is, it's interesting because the technology side of things can drive the bus or not. Just because you made an investment in the technology doesn't mean the technology is going to, going to suddenly make your bottom line better. 
No, in fact, it may go the other direction. Because technology without training is a killer. And I will tell you, I spent a good part of my career, as I said, around high tech. And the biggest problem companies had using high tech was not using it well. And that was because they lacked training. So here's some things that you might want to use as a checklist and ask yourself if any of these apply to you. And Lonnie and I'll share maybe a couple war story on some of these just to give you some perspective. But the reason I'm listing these is not to bore you with a list of items, but to kind of give you more of a definition of what we're talking about. We're talking about systems and procedures or machinery for that matter. So poor equipment quality or maintenance. Do you have a maintenance program? Is there any schedule? Or do we like wait until it's broken and then we fix it? Is there insufficient or perhaps excess capacity? Or are we properly utilizing the facilities we have? Talk about waste. They're planning for the future. I had a client who had a, it was a lock company, but they had so much metal work and the like all around the place. And I would walk through the plant and say, what's that stuff for? Oh, we haven't used that since the 80s. The 80s? Guys, it's not the 80s. And... Well, we ended up looking at this and finding more than $10,000 worth of stuff because that's how much we sold it for. We just had a junk dealer come pick it all up, cleaned out the back office, and made things more efficient. When people were looking for particular parts, they were much more easily found. So it's just little things, always little things. Well, I've got about five more that I want to talk about, but I'd like to focus on the first one of my five, which is inadequate operator training. I mentioned earlier how one item can affect many. So I've got this client that services industrial equipment, we'll call it, and he couldn't find people and he would advertise for people with that specific job title. I said, well, explain to me what they're actually doing. And when he was done, I go, listen, I'm nobody to talk about mechanical things, but I do have a sense that all you're talking about is someone who has hand tool, like pliers and hammers and screwdrivers even maybe i could do it not heavy industrial equipment training that's not get crazy now <laughs> and he said well yeah i said well do you have a training program he says yeah it's on the job i go well imagine if you could dumb it down and just hire anyone who has hand tool mechanical capability that kind of like aptitude which i don't have it would be quickly easy to screen me out And he said, yeah, well, guess what? Not only did we solve the training problem, we were able to hire people with less skill, train them right away, which obviously meant less pay at the beginning. So we cut our payroll costs down, improved the quality control on the training side, and it was a win-win. Solve the recruiting problem. So I'll move on. So then we have lack of office automation, which was really my big thing with my software company for law offices. And low technology. Do you want to comment on that? Yeah. I mean. Okay. And this is. I love when he smiles. This is one of those things. We talk about irony. This is the irony of all ironies. Here we have this manufacturing company that's got all of the. I mean, they have state of the art equipment in a plant. And just, I mean, precise, et cetera. And. The office is still working, almost on ledger cards. And they were working on Excel spreadsheets. That's before my time. I don't know about you, Lonnie. That's no, but no, when time. I say ledger cards, I mean, I mean real 
ledger cards where they were writing stuff like on paper? it. paper? Yes, like paper. What's paper? And the only automation they had were Excel spreadsheets. Stan, this was an $8 million company. And so what happened was they had all this great stuff in the producing the product, and the billing was, at best, 15 to 20 days late, <laughs> and, and collections were even worse. So it ripples down. So machines and systems are not just what you see. It's what you don't see including the ones that are not seen because they're not done, but they were supposed to be done. Well, there's that. There's that, yes. <laughs> so we talk about overly complex procedures and operations. I would say for the average small business, the issue is the reverse of that. <laughs> overly oh, yes. simplified. Yes. And the one that I love most, and I got a war story for you, that was warehousing inventory issues. So I had this large distributor, and he was complaining that he is now tapping into his line of credit which he had never had to do and didn't understand why. I go, have you looked at your inventory report lately? No. I go, well, it's like a lot higher than it used to be. And as you know, the problem was with the purchasing agent. He was told by the owner in no uncertain terms never to be out of stock on a certain time. He gave it to him good. And that burn mark on this <laughs> warehouse manager since it wasn't his cash to worry about, he just stocked up. Well, it's, Got a deal. Got a deal. It sounds like the cousin to this client that I had. It was a $15 million business. They had no underscore, no inventory control system. None. They didn't know how many of any part they had. What they did is they looked, they did an eyeball look at various bins and said, oh, we need more of this. Oh, I think we need more of this. Well, Stan, what do you think from an accounting standpoint? What do you think happened there? I think the asset gets debited. <laughs> I mean, it goes up. <laughs> you think? <laughs> we put an inventory system in, and Stan, they dropped 20 points to gross margin. 20 points over an 18-month period. 20 points. Repeat that, okay? They were barely breaking even before this. Last one on our list, Lonnie, is poor quality control. Uh -huh. as as an oxymoron. <laughs> I had a meat processing client, and they've got federal inspectors there. They've got equipments designed to protect food from E. coli and that kind of stuff. And could you afford to wait for the system to break down? No. The cost of one day loss of production, which is what you had, because if you didn't know what was going to break and didn't have the parts, you'd be waiting a day. It was more than the cost of the equipment. So obviously after the first time that that happened, we put a stop to that. We not only had an extra machine, believe it or not, but we even had parts for most likely to go bad because it was never considered a big deal because they never seen that the problem. And the person in charge, hey, it gave him a day to cool off and get caught up with other things. Often in the whole machines and systems, systems and procedures, if you really look, you can do what they often talk about in sports, sports teams. And when they get rid of a problem player, it's addition by subtraction. Makes the whole team better, but we took somebody out at the same time. That's sports version of downsizing? That's what that is. Yes, sir. 
but it's really the whole thing is it's all about data because data is there that people can track. And this is what the other side of the machine side, the system side. Okay, Peter Drucker, a management consultant and author of some of the greatest books on management, once said, if you can't measure it, you can't improve it. And so what popped to you some quick points to think about? Do you know what the critical pieces of data are that drive your business? In sales, are you one of those folks who sleeps with their sales forecast under their pillow? Now, that sounds strange, but I've had clients, owners, who would say to me, well, the forecast isn't big enough. They don't have enough prospects on it. It's not what you have on it. It's the value of the forecast. How are you tracking when they hit the forecast? How long does it take from there to close? What I like to call contact to contract. And that's really important. Do you track that? Do you track the pipeline, the leads processing that you have? And then how about revenue from existing customers? This is really when it becomes information, which we'll talk about in a minute. It goes through the same thing, inventory, periodic turn, safety stock levels, et cetera. Customer support. I mean, there are often folks who think of good customer services, no complaints. No. And it's tracking support calls per period, how quickly we resolve them, how's that followed up and tracked. These are all critical pieces of data that you turn into information when you track and follow it up. Yeah, but these don't matter if you haven't defined success That's and determine how or who is going to track the critical data towards that success, Lonnie. Exactly. You mentioned KPIs, key performance indicators. Yes. Possibly for me. That's a slight edge over competition. It's like the bear chasing the two people and the guy <laughs> is, is taking off his shoes. What do you say? You get this oh, one. <laughs> bear's going to catch the first one. <laughs> so really you get this one. I'm going to go get the next one. <laughs> the good news is for our listeners, you can only be happy that the competition isn't as, you know, let's say, up to date or best practices as you. So you're looking for tips. Here's one. Take this part of our podcast maybe a little more seriously than maybe oftentimes is taken. It's just, it's the slight edge. It's really figuring out what makes you a little bit different than your competitor. This is the kind of stuff that most folks don't look at. And it sounds so obvious, but I would challenge you, our listeners, to ask yourself and rate yourself on these points. And hope to God you find something because it means not that you're not perfect, but here's an opportunity to beat your competition. Sure. I mean, the interesting thing is that very few small businesses track the close rate of sales and have a system for reviewing performance, compensating, et cetera. These are all tied together. Close rate's important because that's how you really it isn't just how much they sold, it's how quickly they sold it, how they took the prospect to a customer, how they took the customer to another level. Since you're the sales guy here, you know, not only the number of leads, but the dollar value of leads, especially dollar value closed versus quoted. And I'll give you one that you love, the magic word upselling. 
I had an HVAC company, uh, heating, ventilation, air conditioning, and going to homes, and we would try to get the techs to mention a service contract to those who didn't because, of course, the customers were always unhappy. They had to pay to get something fixed, and so they would be the trusted advisor. They weren't looked as a salesperson, but not only was it another $180 of a sale, more importantly, what we learned is customers who were on a service contract tended to be retained longer. Well, what's that worth? Yes. And since you always like to characterize me as the bean counter, my favorite all time, variable labor and material costs. Do you actually know what they are and do you review them? And more importantly, not only do you review them historically, but compared to your alleged budget, your forecast of what it should cost you to deliver that service or product per unit. And what do you do when you find it's unexplainably out of line? Because not only could it be an issue of process, there could be employee theft for all you know. Who knows what? There's that. And then how's it affect pricing? Because the thing is this, if you haven't changed, if you haven't raised your prices in five years, and at the same time, you haven't tracked your variable labor and material costs, ooh, that's an accident waiting to happen. No question. Using your sports analogies, I have to admit I'm a sucker for data. To me- Wasted data is like wasted money. Yes. The best quote I've heard, and it was really from a talk that she gave, was Carly Fiorina, was, when she was CEO at HP, said, we've got to turn data into information because data is just that. It's just numbers. Information is stuff you can act on. That's what you need to do is turn data into information and then turn information into knowledge and insight That is a competitive advantage. Think about that because data in and of itself, worthless, unless it's information that somebody can use. And then it becomes knowledge when it becomes part of the process for how you drive products, et cetera. We make fun about analyzing, but the truth is, this will sound weird. When I know when I'm looking at a client's financial statements and asking questions about information that isn't going to be reflected on the financial statement, whether it's the balance sheet or profit and loss, it's like little people telling me what to look for. They're like directing me to where the issues are, which then begins the process of asking the right questions, which enables the client to come up with the right answers. And that's how it becomes a team effort in analyzing data. We beat this data thing to death. But there's another side to this, and maybe you could summarize it because it's as important as the data and the information, and that's quality. Well, quality, I think we talked about quality control earlier. So here we go with what will sound a little bit of luxury, so please accept our apologies, but it's just too important to Just ignore. a second. He has his pointer out, too. And <laughs> <laughs> but I won't wrap your knuckles. I promise, like they did in your Catholic school, I know. Okay. If it's not a state of your mind as an owner, it's not going to be a state of mind in anybody else's mind. It starts at the top. We say that so many times. You can tell. It's like motherhood and apple pie. Who doesn't say they want quality? But what are you doing to make sure it's happening, quote, consistently, I might add? It transcends the company size. I don't care if you're small or big. And it really relates to your documented procedures and your adherence to the procedures and maybe challenging those procedures once in a while. You got to be dedicated to it. There's got to be a pride to it. If people don't, I mean, you ever watch a good handmade cigar maker? It's like oh, an artist. Oh, yeah, absolutely. 
It's just a little cigar. But see, it's got to be something where the owner is an evangelist for quality. It doesn't just happen. We talk about turnarounds I've done. And in every single one of them, I had quality report to me early on in the process. Because quality invariably was one of the reasons why the company I was trying to turn around had gotten in trouble to start with. So think about that. Quality even goes into design. When I had my software company, we would even reward. We had a users group of a law firms, if you will, and they gave us some of the greatest design ideas that we wouldn't have necessarily thought of or understood was as important to them. And that gave us advantages over competitive software packages. Your user, your customer, ought to be part of your product development process. And if you've got a user's group of any kind, that is so invaluable. As a small business owner, you face many challenges. You're not alone. What can be even more stressful is not having someone to talk to who doesn't have their own agenda. What if you could talk? in depth and confidentially to other small business owners like you on a periodic basis, folks facing the same challenges or who have solved the same problems. The Small Business Virtual Roundtables is the answer for you. Small Business Virtual Roundtables are held monthly for 90 minutes. Membership in each roundtable is limited to 15 people, providing ample time for each member to have their issue addressed by their fellow members. These peer advisory groups are formed to avoid competitive concerns while taking into consideration company size and characteristics that closely match your own business. Need more attention? There is a complimentary 30-minute one-on-one session with the facilitators during the month to seek additional feedback. Monthly membership fees to the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are less than the cost of an hour with your attorney, and this is all done without ever leaving your office or home. Just the time savings of avoiding needless driving is worth the cost. New groups of the Small Business Virtual Roundtables are now being formed on a first-come, first-served basis. Ready to sign up? Head to sbvirtualroundtables.com to receive a complimentary invitation to attend up to three meetings. Again, that's sbvirtualroundtables.com. With Small Business Virtual Roundtables, there's no need to go it alone. And now, back to Lonnie and Stan. Well, Lonnie, we only got a couple more minutes here, so I'll let you wrap it up if you'd like. Stan, this has been very enjoyable today, and I hope the listeners have gleaned at least one thing out of all we covered today. That's all we want you to do is take one thing away. Machines and systems cover a multitude of sins, but too many small business owners think about it in terms of technology. It's not the technology, but what you can best leverage out of it to help your business. It's taking the pain points like overly complex or simplistic procedures and operations and turning them into literal efficient systems that provide data and information that drives the business. Additionally, things like poor operator training and inefficient utilization of equipment, it just leads to lack of quality that fast becomes customer problems. So focusing on this last M with a less is more focus often provides you an environment that enables you to better utilize the data that the machines and systems provide, but also helps you provide a higher quality of product or service. Thanks for being with us, Lonnie and Stan. We're out. 
You've been listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call, the podcast providing eye-opening insights and perhaps a caffeine high to better run your business, delivered in Stan Simpkins and Lonnie Shambi's own unique style. Head on over to sbvirtualroundtables.com where you can connect with Lonnie and Stan, subscribe to the show, find more resources, and check out their monthly 90-minute virtual roundtables. Thanks for listening to the Small Business Wake-Up Call. We'll be right back.